0: Blessing to be with you all this evening. Um, I did not grow up here. I did not grow up in Ohio. I grew up in the state next to you, to the east, and that's where I'm from originally. But uh, I've been acquainted with Grace Church for so long now that I do feel in some respects that it's kind of like a home away from home. Uh, I always find this an encouraging time, In many ways, Uh, certainly God has blessed this church, leadership here, and uh, it's always just good to come back and see you all and see how things are going. Uh, This trip that my family is on, uh, we started a couple weeks ago, we'll be going on it for six weeks, so it's a fairly lengthy trip. We're driving across the country and then back to Las Vegas. And uh, so we're, I'll tell you a little bit more uh, and a bit about the purpose of our trip, but I contacted Pastor Tim and asked him about the opportunity of just coming by and, and just asking for your prayers as we continue to serve the Lord in Las Vegas. Uh, it was mentioned earlier, I was kind of comical, this morning I was down in the Columbus area and um, the church that we were at, my brother's wife grew up in that church, her, her dad was the pastor and uh, so this morning I had quite a few people say, oh, are you Dave's brother so I became known uh, this morning quite frequently in those conversations that way, and then Pastor Tim made reference to my sister Julie, and I was thinking, oh, I guess I'm going to be getting that I'm Julie's brother tonight, so Dave's brother this morning, Julie's brother this evening. My sister Julie, her husband Dan and their family were here for about a year, a little maybe a little bit longer than that, uh, doing s- somewhat of an internship here, preparing themselves to go down to... Texas, Round Rock, Texas, where they are currently partnering and assisting and aiding in that church plant down there with Jeremy and Jenny Vandelinder. And uh, so they, they, they are down there, but they had a time here, and I know that was a blessing uh, for them to grow during that time. They were very much uh, encouraged and prepared to do what they're doing. And so I'm grateful in so many ways for this church and the part that you played in, in, uh, in our life. It was about... It's probably been now 10 years uh, when the Lord began to move upon us uh, to plant a church in Las Vegas, and we were sharing our burden for that city and uh, looking for churches to partner with us. I had a friend who said, hey, you need to look into this uh, church planting conference up in Mentor, Ohio, Uh, and uh, you'll you'll probably get some uh, encouragement, some wisdom, some direction from that. So we, we, we came to it. It was the second year that uh, Arch had done their church planning conference. And I began to come back every year. It was such a blessing to be a part of it. And we've also enjoyed the opportunity to go down to Florida uh, where those Arch conferences are now taking place. And uh, so uh, just getting to know the families and the people and the leaders here uh, is just uh, is a great thing. And I think one of the greatest things I took away from all those years being acquainted with your church was the, the thrust of disciple-making. I've always understood that's part of the Great Commission. I always knew that it's our responsibility to make disciples. But I think trying to understand exactly what that looked like. Now, I had kind of an idea in my mind what that meant, but most of the churches that I was acquainted with did not really do it the way I kind of thought disciple-making was all about, that, that, that communicative, that relational, that organic nature of uh, uh, personal contact, one with another, and, and, and mentorship in that way, I didn't, I didn't see a church really doing it the way Grace Church was doing it. And so seeing it here, live in action, and knowing that I think even probably now or before, perhaps before or maybe after the service or other times during the week, it's taking place here. And you are all a part of that probably in some way. Maybe you are currently or you were in the past or maybe you will be in the future. But just seeing that here was an encouragement to me and I probably about five or six years ago really began to change philosophically the way we do things in Las Vegas so that we're similar in that respect. But I kind of needed a good example of what that looked like and Grace Church was a good example. Um, We've been using the foundations material Uh, Ever since we started, Uh, I would show you some PowerPoint slides tonight. Nick was asking for that, and I said, We'll just bypass that this evening. But I would would have shown you some faces, would have shown you some people who I have worked through systematically over years and working through foundations material, amongst other things, to help them to mature in their faith. Many of them uh, to know Christ the Savior, looking for a starting place, and that's where. Uh, I really appreciated the material that was written here and, you know, making it personal, making it our own, uh, being, but being able to really do that with the folks out there. And, and, and it's worked. It's been a blessing. We've seen people go from point A to you name whatever letter it is. They've moved in their spiritual life. And to my, my, The first one that comes to my mind is Glenn and Sharon Hammond. They're with us today, uh, still at our church, and what a blessing they are. They moved to Las Vegas from New Orleans uh, he had been involved in the music industry all his life. He's an electric guitarist and uh, plays in jazz bands and uh, moved to Las Vegas looking for work. And through very, uh, various circumstances in his life, God had moved upon him 10 years before that through some hard times where he got a hold of a copy of the Scriptures. And through reading the Scriptures, came to know Christ as Savior, but he didn't have anyone to help him. He didn't have anyone to disciple him. He didn't have anyone to show him, where do I go from here? And so he really just uh, was like uh, uh, a chaff in the wind, just moving here and there. And he was moving to Las Vegas, and he was talking with one of his friends and said, I think I probably ought to get into this church thing. I mean, I I believe in Jesus, and he's my Savior, but I, I I think I need to go to a church. And that friend, through a mutual friend, had said, hey, why don't you check out Canyon Springs Baptist Church? And we had been in, uh, planted. We had already been planted for about three or four years at that point. And they came, and right away, I began to jump right in and say, "Listen, let's let's do this together. Let let's work on this, and help you to understand what the Bible is all about, what church is all about." We did that for several years, and uh, you don't have to deal with some of the issues of life. Like I didn't have to immediately tell him things like, uh, you know, it's probably not the best thing for you, the healthiest thing for you, to be involved in the nightclub scene. Because that's what he was a part of all his life. And uh, we just worked through the scriptures, and it was so refreshing about a few months ago when he was giving personal testimony, and, and he came to me and said, Pastor, you now I don't think I should be doing this, and I don't think I should be doing that's not good for me spiritually. I never had to tell him that. Just working through the word of God, helping him to understand what Christ, who Christ is, and what he expects out of us. He, he, the Holy Spirit guided him through all of that and uh, has made him a completely different person today. I, I, I thank the, the ministry here. You have had a part in that. Your prayers, your support, uh, and that's just one example of how the Lord has used us to, to just help people grow, take the next step in their life. Right now, I'm doing that with several of them. I'll think, in fact, if you pray, for, I'll give you a couple names. The Tyners, Jim and Missy Tiner. Uh, I started working with them several years ago, to the point where Jim has grown, and they were baptized in our church, and now Jim is a deacon. What a blessing to have folks like that. Our next-door neighbor, Robin, we got to know her and invited her to come to church, and she had been a part of a a lot of different kinds of churches in in her past, and, and we just said, come, and we'll... We'll work with you wherever you're at. And started doing a, a, a Bible study, uh, a discipleship time with her. And we're about four or five months in. And she's right there. She's not still getting all there is to understand about salvation and the gospel. But she says, I'm, I'm getting it, Pastor. I'm almost there. Uh, and so we're working with her. At the same time, we had Barbara who had been with us for five years. And the re- only reason she's at our church is because her daughter's there. She's got family at our church. And uh, she's anti- she was antagonistic to the gospel from the very beginning. She only came for social reasons. She just thought it was nice. She's uh, in her 80s, probably in her late 70s, actually. And uh, she just, just wanted to be there with her family. Thought it was a good outlet for her. But from the very beginning, she just thought this whole thing was hooey. You know, what we're doing. But now, over several years, and just listening to the preaching of God's word, it softened her heart, and she said, you know what, I I probably ought to know what this gospel is all about. And so she said, I'll start coming to doing a discipleship time with you. And I think the last time we were with her, she said, Pastor, I'm really close. I'm really close. I know what you're saying, and I think I'm right there. This is a person that five years ago, we never would have imagined would have said something to that effect. What a blessing. What an opportunity. Las Vegas is a challenging place. Mentor in Las Vegas are not a lot different. Yeah, I know you don't have gambling here. I know there's a lot more people in Las Vegas, but the sinfulness of the human heart of the people in Las Vegas is no different than the lost condition of people in this area. They need, you, the people in this area need Christ just like the people in Las Vegas need Christ. It does present a few unique challenges along the way, a few adjustments. I know a lot of people were concerned Early on, how do you raise a family in a place like Las Vegas? Well, like you do anywhere. You have to be good parents, and you have to work hard, and it's not easy. Parenting's not easy, is it, no matter where you're at? And so you have to stay faithful to it and ask the Lord to bless and give grace as you do so. In many respects, I say there may be some easier elements of raising a family in Las Vegas. Why? Because they can see sin very clearly and know its destructiveness. Sometimes we shelter the kids to a certain point in some ways that they're not really exposed to that, and it kind of, Christianity becomes nominal. But in a place like Las Vegas, you either are for the Lord or you're clearly against the Lord. But it has a few challenges along the way. We, one thing we discovered about Las Vegas is that it's very transient. We didn't expect that. I don't think we were prepared for it. Um... When you talk to people in Las Vegas, you find out very quickly that almost nobody is from Las Vegas. How many people in here, and just by raise of hands, uh, you know, would say that this is your origin, Ohio is your origin? How many people know your origin is Ohio? That looks like at least 50%, okay? Nobody's from Las Vegas, or very few. You find a few once in a while, but... Most people come there for different reasons. Get away from the high cost of living in California. They find it a good place to retire. Uh, Perhaps there was some employment that they received for a few years, and then they're ready to go back home. We have a military base, and we've had families in our church, a part of the military, a home of the Thunderbirds in Las Vegas. And then many times they're transferred to another location. So we've had to kind of deal with this moving thing that we weren't planning on, and our goal had been from the very beginning uh, to build a a church that would be long-term, that would be there as a, take up its roots, and that's still the plan, but it's had a few hiccups along the way. In fact, a couple years ago, we were doing really well, numbers 50, 60, growing, we were looking at a place to lease, and then a, a lot of them began to start moving out. Just for different reasons. And we lost about 40 some people over a span of 12 months. Now, that's a lot of people when you're a small church. The hardest part about it was that they were the folks that were probably most active in the church. 30, they were in the age range 30 to 40, they had children, they were serving in music, they were serving in nursery, they were serving in lots of different capacities. And then we lost a base. So you have to, you go to the Lord and you say, where do we go from here? We had momentum, things were moving in the right direction, now what do we do? I only have a few minutes this evening. I do want to open God's Word up with you this morning, take you to a familiar passage to start with. We won't spend much time there, but it will serve as a kind of a basis for what I'd like to share with you this evening. Matthew chapter 9, if you would turn there this evening, Matthew chapter 9. You look down with me at verse 37, verse 38. These are some words of the Lord Jesus that are familiar to us. Verse 37 says that he said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now that is a verse, that is a passage of scripture that many times we associate with missions, missions, conferences, conferences times of, you know, a real push for uh, supporting missionaries. A lot of times this would be a verse that's used in that regard. And it's a great missions verse. But I think that we can't relegate it simply to worldwide missions or, or spreading the gospel around the globe. If you just simply look at the context of the passage, backing up to verse 32, you see the Lord Jesus doing his work. He's ministering. Okay, he's he, he heals, he, he, he cures a man who is possessed with a devil, uh, a devil in verse uh, 32. He's dumb and possessed with a devil. He casts him out. Um, you move down to verse 35. It says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages doing what? Teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. But what else? Healing every sickness, every disease among the people. And that's whenever he saw the multitudes and said these words about laborers. But notice the context is Christ is working hard he's preaching teaching healing ministering on on all kinds of different levels and we don't have the ability today to do some of those things like healing of diseases ourselves like Christ did with those miraculous things but but he was working tirelessly to the point of fatigue the Lord Jesus put on flesh he understood what it meant to get tired do you ever get tired are you tired right now? (laughs) Sunday evenings can be a long day and you're, you're coming back and it's easy to just feel worn out. Well, Christ felt that too. He understood it. And it was while he was ministering and doing all of these things that he said, the laborers are few. There's a lot of work out there. The harvest is ready to be reaped, but there's just not enough people to do the work. We need laborers. Pray that God will send laborers. and So it's not just a verse I believe that speaks about worldwide missions, but it speaks about your work here at Grace Church and Mentor. That that it's a team effort. That we all work together to make the church successful, to accomplish the mission that Christ has given to us. When we started this trip, we I wanted to make sure along the way that the kids can do a few fun things. Uh, I was talking with a pastor in Detroit, probably know Pastor Dave Dorn, I know that that Pastor Tim Potter and him are friends, and I was talking with him, and and I said, hey, what's there to see in Detroit while we're here in the area, like to see something? And uh, he said, well, have you ever been to the Henry Ford Museum, Greenfield Village? And, And I was totally ignorant of it. I said, no, I'm not familiar with that, and uh, he said, well, if, if you want, I can get you passes for you and your family to go, and I, I, I think I expressed my appreciation, but did not know how much of a blessing it was until I got there, because when we got there, I'm thinking it's like maybe one building with a few artifacts, and we'll be there 30 minutes, and, and say that was nice, and move on. I, I just really didn't understand what this place was, but when we got there and saw how large it was, and I looked at the ticket prices, and I'm thinking, wow. Wow what a blessing to actually get these free passes. I didn't know how expensive this would actually be. So I was really kind of blown away from that. But we decided, we went in and we're going through Greenfield Village and seeing all these different homes, these historic places. And we went to the section for Thomas Edison, his little Menlo Park there. And uh, we saw that uh, there was a plaque. And I want to just read what the plaque said on it. It said this, I was thought it was quite interesting and speaks very much to this point. Thomas Edison believed this is what the plaque said. Thomas Edison believed that the best creations came from people working together. His team of workers brought both traditional craft skills and new scientific knowledge to the exciting challenges facing them at its laboratory. See, when we think about the person who invented the light bulb, immediately we say Thomas Edison. But Thomas Edison might have got the credit. He may have had the patent, but he had a team, many dozens of people doing little jobs. Some of them were high-skilled, knowledgeable. Some of them were just guys that were just kind of doing tasks. You know, were doing little errands for him along the way. But together, all of them worked towards the discovery of many different inventions that Thomas Edison gets credit for. Let me read some names for you, and then I'm going to ask you a question about these names. You just be patient with me, okay? Lydia, Sopatros, Secundus, Barsabas, Philip, Agabus, Menasin, Phoebe, Priscilla, Aquila, Epinetus, Mary, Andronicus, Junia, Ampliatus, Arbanus, Stacus, Apollaeus, Aristobulus, Herodian, Narcissus, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persus, Rufus, Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, Philologus, Julia, Nereus, Olympus, Timothy, Lucius, Jason, stick with me, Sosipatris, Tertius, Gaius, Erastus, Quartus, Sosthenes, Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achicus, Titus, Barnabas, Tychicus, Epaphroditus, Clement, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Marcus, Epaphras, Luke, Archippus, Silas, Carpus, Onesiphorus, Onesiphorus, I'm slaughtering some of these, I'm sure. Trophimus, Eubulus, Pudes, Linus, Claudia, Artemis, Zena, Sophia, Archippus, Philemon. That's over 70 names that I just kind of rattled off for you. What do these names have in common? I'm hearing different people. You guys speak up a little Louder. What's that? They're biblical names, sure, and hard to pronounce ones. They all have that in common, okay? Someone said helpers? Behind-the-scenes people? First-century Christians, okay? Laborers? Okay, these are all people that the Apostle Paul mentioned in the New Testament, These were all people that had some sort of connection to the Apostle Paul. Yes, they were all believers, all first century believers. They're all helpers. They're all laborers. And you can go throughout, whether it's Romans chapter 16 or 1 Corinthians or uh, Timothy or Philemon, and you're going to find all of these names that I have just read to you, Philemon, I mean, Paul had some connection with. I categorize them five ways, and because I have a little bit of time, I'm not going to really spend a lot of time on each, but the first category I recognize with these names are the gray hairs, or in some of your cases and mine, it's the no hairs. But either way, okay, you have a segment of people in the church here that functioned really as mentors. One of the names that sticks out on this list is Barnabas among many others that had a a part in Paul's life. And Barnabas was that guy that just came alongside Paul and made sure that he protected him, he defended him, he taught him. He showed him the ropes. Now Barnabas was a very capable man himself. When he went to Antioch to help the church, it grew. But then he went to, to, to Tarsus to find Paul and bring him back to Antioch and say, this guy will really help us. And he mentored him and helped him to the point where Barnabas, I mean, Paul became the main guy as time went on. But Barnabas had a part in that. The scriptures clearly teach us in the New Testament, Paul's the first one to tell us this that there's a responsibility for the older men and the older women in the church to do what? To To teach the younger ones. You may not say it, you may think it, but there are a lot of times that there may be those of this persuasion who say, I had my time in my 20s and 30s and 40s when I had lots of strength, lots of energy, and I could do all that work. You may not be able to do as much as you used to, but you are just as much an integral part and necessary to the success of the church as you ever have been in the past. just you're taking on a new role. But you're important. The younger generation needs you. They need to hear your stories. They need to hear your perspectives. They need to hear your wisdom. We need gray hairs. We need those who will help train up the next generation. Not only are we seeing these names among them, these gray hairs, but there's a second category of people that Paul doesn't say a lot about. Uh, Folks like Asyncritus, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes. He just recognizes them. I call these the secret servants. We don't know exactly what they did, but they're there. Paul's just not listing people to list people, right? He has a purpose why he's giving us these names. He's not just uh, listing off a role, a membership role of the different churches. These people, whoever they are and whatever they did, meant something to Paul. They had a role to play. And maybe it wasn't an ongoing role. Maybe it was a one-time act of service. Maybe it was one time when they were a real blessing to him, but he recognizes them saying, You are important. You are special. You did something for me. And I want to to greet you. I want to send my greetings forward to you. What a blessing to have these folks who maybe nobody knows what they do or what they have done. But there's someone out there that was blessed by their ministry. Maybe that happens here too. Maybe there will be people here in this church that, nope, they never come up front and get any kind of recognition. But they're faithfully serving behind the scenes, doing something that is tremendously important for the success of the church maybe that's you if that's you keep doing it and don't be discouraged because you're not being noticed god knows paul recognized these folks but god knew we need those secret servants in the church that are just doing those little things along the way nobody knows about and they're not getting recognition for but they're an incredible part of the success of every ministry this third group here i'm going to make, make up an english word there i call them the hospitable's These are folks that had a part in just doing the practical, logistical elements of the church. If they could help in some way, they did. And I'm just going to give you these names. Mary, Lydia, Priscilla, Aquila, Afia, Archippus, Philip, guys. All of these individuals provided their home at one point or another, either to provide lodging or for the church to meet. Prayer meetings, worship services, they used their home for that purpose. I mean, today, if they could, they would let them use their vehicle. Do you need to get from one city to the other? Uh, I'll I'll take, here's my car. You can have it. They're the ones who make it happen, doing, taking care of the practical things behind the scenes. If there's a need, they make it happen. Those hospitables. A fourth category here, which is the, the largest category by far of all these names, I simply call the lingering laborers. Lingering because they're the kind of folks that Really, when everybody else is gone, the fellowship's over, the worship service is done, you have these people who are just doing their little part. They're lingering, and they're doing the work. And they're not, not just sort of lingering after service. They're, they're early beforehand. They're locking up. They're, 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 they're uh, uh, opening. They're taking care of custodial needs. Uh, they make sure the food's where it needs to be at the right time. Um, uh, you, you name it. The nursery workers, they got to be in place before the folks get there. They're doing it, and folks, the nursery is so important. You that are working and serving that capacity, thank you. Okay? It it may go unsung many times, but it's such a critical part of the success of a church when people are faithfully serving in that way. Not only are you ministering to the parents of those kids, you're ministering to the kids themselves, and what a wonderful opportunity that is. Here we have these people who are just laboring, doing whatever it takes to make the church work. Now, the last group, and I'll just kind of finish with this group here. I didn't really know exactly how to, what to, to name them, but I just simply referred to this last group as burden bearers. I, I, I think of them as the emotional support system. And To be honest with you, being nine years in Las Vegas, almost this coming December, my, my wife and I can both say this very clearly. Of all the things... That, would be, that means the most to us is this particular category. There are times when we are, we are who we are. We are human beings with, with weaknesses. We struggle at times. We're up and down. And it's just nice to have some others there to support you. Now, I, I would have never said that about myself before I went to Las Vegas. My dad was a blue-collar worker. He taught us early on what it means to, to be hardworking people. Doing, I started working all the time as a 10-year-old, mowing grass. If I, when I, if I was able to, I would start working doing custodial work, you know, doing whatever it was, uh, food service, you name it. I was working as soon as he, I was able to do so. My dad taught me that from the time I was young, and he himself was a great example of that. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, the American way, you work at it. You can do this on your own. And that's who I was, and that's how I went to Las Vegas. Sure, we asked for partners in ministry, and the Lord early on gave us signs that we would have a few of those. But it didn't work out. But nonetheless, we're going to go anyway. But I, I have discovered something about myself. I'm not as strong as I thought I was. Maybe in my pride... My confidence, my flesh, thinking that I could handle any pressure, any difficulty, any trial along the way, I've come to realize that's not exactly who I really am. I get hurt. I feel. My wife does. And it's tough at times. These missionaries, these people that are in ministry, especially those across the, 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 the world who are on their own, perhaps many times. I understand what they're going through because now I experience it for myself. And it's not easy. And we've had to struggle like any human being who's saying, is it worth it? Are we doing what we're supposed to doing? Isn't there something else? Why are we doing this? Now, now I'm gonna tell you, we've had a lot of success throughout our nine years and the Lord's blessed and we've seen great things happen. And somehow we just have a way of, you know, going right back to some of the difficulties because it's, it's tough, it's tough. Being crit- criticized, hey, every pastor gets it. We're not alone. Every, every person who's doing ministry, you've faced it, haven't you? You've been criticized before. But I'm looking at these different folks, and Paul says, he mentions folks like Sopatros and Secundus and Barsabas, and Nasus and Trophimus, and he refers to them as companions. You know, we think about Paul as though he's this maverick on his own pioneer doing this work, but he had lots of companions, he had guys that were right alongside of him experiencing what he was experiencing. He says, we read in Romans chapter 16, Adronicus, Junia, Aristarchus, Epaphras, and he refers to, refers to all of them as fellow prisoners. He wasn't alone in prison. He had some support. He mentions three guys here, and all he says about them is they're well-beloved, well-beloved, Epinetus, Impliatus, Stachus, They're just beloved. I don't know exactly what he means by that, but my guess is something akin to, they're just good friends. They may not do a particular role. They may not have a function per se as much as it's just someone that I really enjoy being around and they're a friend to me. Paul needed friends. Paul was an emotional guy. You read the New Testament, you read his letters, you'll find out very quickly, he, he, his emotions were on his sleeves many times. He... He, he said who he really was. And he had friends. He needed those friends. He certainly had partners like Timothy, Titus, Luke, and Silas. I, I was just watching as we were partaking in the Lord's Supper and Mike and Steve and Dave and you got Larry. And what, what a great group of guys. And I don't, I'm, some of you I don't, I don't, I may not know who you are, but knowing this church, what a, what a, what a great partnership to be able to just spend time together, you know, to bounce off ideas one with the other and to, to just talk about what's going on. What a, what a blessing. That's important. It's a great thing to have. You all serve in some way partnering in this ministry. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Here's three guys. Nobody really knows much about them. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. This may be the only time I think their names might be in the New Testament. And Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 17, I'm glad of the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied... And I love verse eighteen. Says this: For they, what they have, they have refreshed my spirit. Paul refers to another guy in Second Phile- uh, in, in Timothy, this Onesiphorus, as one who often refreshed him. What a great thing to have those kinds of people around you. That when you are just drained physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, they're there to refresh you. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 3, and this I'll close. You can turn to it if you like, if not. But Paul says, and he's talking to the whole church at Philippi. And he uses this word that probably we don't use often in our English language. But he says, I entreat thee also. And he refers to the whole church and he says, my true yoke fellow. Yoke fellow. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, my fellow laborers like Clement. Yoke fellow. What does that mean? What are people that join themselves in a yoke? They're sharing something, aren't they? They're burden bearers. They're working as team members. Churches are most successful excuse me, churches are most successful when all the people are working together. That, that's something that Thomas Edison, if he was a believer, which he wasn't, would have understood. It takes a team. Why are we traveling right now? Well? After nine years of being in this and losing a few key families along the way and knowing our frailty, knowing we need some of this, we're looking for partners in ministry. There's a little bit of an isolation being in Las Vegas. We don't get to be out out in different places where these workers are. And so we're just simply, by faith, stepping out, sharing our burden with churches and praying. And I'm asking you all to pray tonight that God would lead a partner family or two. I was talking with a pastor out in Colorado and he said, ask for two. I said, sure, I don't mind asking for two. But we're looking for partner families. And we want to stay in Las Vegas. We want to continue to work there. It's a needy place. And God has allowed us to do some great things there. See, a lot of people come to know Christ, grow in their faith. So what a blessing, what an opportunity. But my wife and I would say to you, we could use some help. Now, I'm, I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. Grace Church of Mentor is a place that breeds this and sends people out and has been a part of planting many different churches. So I'm not communicating something to you that you don't do. You do this. And I don't know where these folks come from. But I'm asking that you'll pray that God would open up the heart and knit us together with people that would see, like we do, the vision, the burden for a place like Las Vegas, and say, we just want to come out there and help you in that. And I don't have specs. I'm not saying it has to be young, old, kids, talent, giftedness, seminary training. If just folks say, yes, I don't know what's holding us back. We could do that then come join us. Oh, I know. I know what you're thinking. I know in your mind there's like 10 obstacles that just came up. <laughs> and you gave yourself great reasons, and, and, and they probably, if you said them to me, I'd say, oh, yeah, that's, those are great reasons. I wouldn't probably disagree with you. But sometimes the Lord just simply leads us in a way we never expected. We never thought about it before. If you asked me 15 years ago if I was gonna be in Las Vegas, I'd say, you're crazy. Maybe you think I'm crazy, okay? But the reality is sometimes God will just surprise you and say, hey, it's time, it's time. I'm ready to, to move you on to a different place. And you may think Las Vegas is the last place on earth you would want to be. But I'll tell you this from firsthand experience. When God calls you somewhere and he speaks to you and leads you there, it becomes home. I I, I grew up in western Pennsylvania, moved to the south whenever I was a teenager. Those were places I would call home. But since God has called us to Las Vegas and we've been there serving and ministering among the people, Las Vegas is home. In about six weeks, we'll drive back Into that city with all those lights and say we're home. I know it might be totally off your radar, your ability to even comprehend Las Vegas as home. But maybe that's what God has for you. Maybe someone here. I don't know. But we're asking God to do some big things. So what's my expectation? I'm I'm just trusting the Lord, and He's always provided. He's always blessed us. And we have no regrets in that way because God is good. But I think we're at a point in our ministry where we're asking God, Lord, would you do something special? Would you bring us a family that could serve along with us? Because we could sure use that right now. And so pray with us and perhaps pray to the Lord. Lord, I would never want that in my human flesh. It's not interesting to me, Lord, but I'll at least pray about it and talk to you about it and see what you do. Is that fair enough to ask? I hope that you're not saying, I don't wanna pray that because I'm afraid what the Lord's gonna do. <laughs> but I can tell you that when you do go down that pathway, though you may have thought, boy, well, nothing but problems is gonna happen that way, you'll find out God is incredible. And he will do some things you never expected. And you'll be able to finish the course that he's laid out for you in a very dramatic fashion. Faithful to the end. Maybe in Las Vegas. Maybe you. Pray. Pray with us. Pray for us. I'm asking you to do that this evening because our heart's there and we want it to stay there. We want to be there. But we need, we need that support system. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for how faithful you are, how good you are. You never fail us. You promise in your word you'll supply. We need not worry. But Lord, your word, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, working through a man like the Apostle Paul, has penned for us names, names of people who were involved at the church work in Ephesus, who were involved in the church work in Philippi, who were involved in the church work in Thessalonica. And all these people had a different role, doing different things, but all of them critical to the success of the gospel and those church planning ventures. I thank you, Lord, that you gave us those names because we need to see that it does take a team. It takes a lot of your people working together for a common cause to see the gospel go forth with power in in, in needy places like the city of Las Vegas. And I do pray, Lord, that if you keep these people here, that they will involve themselves in their part, their role, whatever it might be. They're not just attenders of a church. They are servants. They are ministers, one with another. I pray each person here will see their role And make sure they fulfill it for your honor and glory. I thank you for their example. Thank you for their love. Thank you for their encouragement and their support and prayer. I ask your blessing on them. And for the work of the gospel here and abroad. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.